meet Patty. She's 42 and has been feeling really tired. And if the fatigue wasn't bad enough, she also started getting brain fog, had trouble recalling things, and recently found that when she would exercise, instead of feeling energized like she has in the past, it actually made her more tired and took her almost the whole next day to recover. She knew something was up because she was just not feeling right. Her doctors didn't have much of an answer for her, so that is when she came to see me. We looked at her thyroid in great depth, expecting to find something off in those tests. But to our surprise, they were completely normal, even by my standards of optimal ranges, so that was not it. Looking at her health history and symptoms, I knew something else was going on that was mimicking those thyroid symptoms. I knew we had to explore this further and find a few more missing pieces to solve this health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about Patty. My sense was that there may be some kind of hidden infection adding to her fatigue and brain fog. I sat down with Dr. Kasha Kynes an expert in hitting infections, to share about Patty's case. Dr. Kynes is a doctor of clinical nutrition and the CEO of EBV Educational Institute and Holistic Nutrition Naturally, and she's the author of the Amazon bestseller, The Epstein-Barr Virus Solution. Dr. Kynes, welcome. Good morning, everyone. I am so excited to have you. So in functional medicine, uh, the infection connection and fatigue has been known for a long time. But unfortunately, conventionally, this is not something that's widely talked about. A common infection almost everyone may be exposed to is the Epstein-Barr virus. Can you tell us a little more about what Epstein-Barr virus is? Absolutely, Ina. And thank you so much for doing this podcast because it's such a big elephant in the room and it's so much needed information. So Epstein-Barr virus has been here for a million years so we kind of evolved with it. Um, it's been here longer than us. And, um, and so it's suspected that 90, 95% of global population has the virus. In fact, the scientific community's response to this, like kind of global aspect of it, is to, to be looking uh, for a vaccination for it. That's how big it is. So it's a global issue. And um, when people are compromised for any reason, they may develop an infection. Uh, many people may not ever have an infection, even though they have those uh, the virus in, in the system. Uh, the infection may be mono, maybe a little flu, maybe something more serious, and it may go away on its own and never come back. And again, depending on circumstances and the immune system and diet and stress level, environmental toxins, uh, you may develop uh, complications along the way in your life. And that's where it gets really blurry. And that's where the medical community completely doesn't see it. What are some symptoms of Epstein-Barr virus? Um, and I know there's also the acute and the chronic. Can you give some symptoms of each? The acute one would be um, a little bit like a really bad flu. So achiness. Uh, oftentimes, uh, there's a lot of involvement in the lymph, neck, head area. So you would be congested. You would have achy throat or 
um, lymph nodes would be enlarged, scratchy throat. Uh, sometimes there's fever, like malaise, achiness, a little bit. Um, what I hear all the time is the proverbial, you know, a truck hit me over the head and I feel like it just ran me over. So that's that's a typical presentation. So if anybody has that really, really the worst flow in their lives, that may actually be uh, EBV. So that's kind of acute. Um, but there's the, the chronic aspect of it may be really complicated. I have a, literally a laundry list um on our ebd website is a laundry list of 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 different conditions associated or with or literally caused by this virus uh, chronically and and i had to bug them into different groups because there's so many so there's a big group for cancer for example uh even 10 percent of stomach cancer is caused by ebv for example now we're looking into colorectal cancer we're looking into breast cancer even you know more common more typical cancer types um there's a lot of involvement with autoimmunity and anything from shorgans to lopos lopos is classic sometimes rheumatoid arthritis uh, diabetes type one multiple sclerosis uh thyroid disorders especially hashimoto's and even graves depends on the timing so hyper or hypo um and for american women the thyroid is the probably the biggest culprit so that's a that's a big that's a big topic right there right ulcerations of different forms even hypersensitivity to mosquito bites or uh, low platelets long terms i'm seeing research and some cases personally with nose bleeding uh <laughs> It's it's really dramatically long list. Depends on the person, depends on the immune system, depends on the weakest link, exposure length. Um, it can have just you know it can manifest as a chronic chronic illness. I've had cases of mixed connective tissue disorder, and that was driving it. So it's really it's really this big elephant in the room. I'm so glad you're talking about this, you know, and in Patty's case, she was feeling tired and you mentioned fatigue as being a big part of that, um, you know, and then brain fog mm -hmm. um, and then some of these other things too. You know, I feel like this is something that most doctors completely dismiss. And what I find interesting is that the this concept of Epstein-Barr causing all of these things was actually recently popularized by the medical medium, Anthony Williams. And after his book came out, I had so many clients coming in to see me asking me, hey, do I have Epstein-Barr? Can you test me for it? And you know, of course, we're not here to debate about whether or not we believe in medical mediumship. That's a whole completely different topic. But it was so good to see that a concept that was only talked about and functional medicine was now becoming more mainstream. And this information is really getting out to more people. And I know that you were instrumental in bridging that gap. Can you tell us more? Uh, absolutely. And by the way, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned fatigue and, and brain fog because I, of all the symptoms and conditions I forgot to mention, but this is a classic flagship, like red flag, chronic fatigue, being totally exhausted, and then having a really impacted brain, brain fog, not being able to think clearly. So going back to your question, uh, I think Anthony Williams was instrumental in opening a door that was not even there uh, for, for many reasons. Um, and however we, like you said, however we believe or not, whatever our belief system is, for me personally, um, there's a couple of very important pointers here in the story because. Um, there is a there is a huge population. The books are best selling. People love his books. 
Uh, his dietary approach is wonderful. There's nothing, there's, there's wonderful healing foods. I mean, I can't say enough. There's nothing that can hurt people with these recommendations, but people do much better on all the foods. It's just healing foods, plant-based, antioxidant-rich herbs, all that is wonderful. That's that's totally in sync with the with the research. But what was really important is that as people were starting to read his books and my clients were starting to ask me about this book, you know, we're in a position when we have to we have to read, take a look at a publication when more than one uh, client comes and requests, well, what do you think about this? We have to have an educated comment on and position on what people are reading, right? Um, and so that actually, it was a blessing because it was a perfect time for me to read it. And I had to read it on a, on a plane because I didn't have time to read. So I was, you know, going to a medical, medical conference and that's what I did. And what was striking for me is, uh, however, you know, however, again, whatever our belief system is, I was just being open-minded and wanted to see what the position is. What struck me in that book, that first book, Medical Medium, was that he was making a lot of claims that and that were completely applicable to my client population these these are the cases i've been working with for years you know when we when we do functional nutrition we we uh, attract clients that are complex that haven't responded to traditional medical treatment or even functional approach they're just spinning they've been going from doctor to doctor they have tons of labs and nothing is responding so i've i've had that population i was working a lot with hashimoto's for example and a lot of gut problems and autoimmunity and <laughs> and as i was reading that book there were particular clients in mind that i remember oh my gosh it's just the perfect fit this is what happened this is what i didn't know and so when I went back home, I remember being frustrated because then I realized I was always uh, into the best training available. I went to the best schools, the best trainings, you know, um, I just needed the best information. And, and, and so I was just floored that none of that was that the viruses and EBV in particular, they were not addressed in any training, any functional training conferences. What, what, what was what was that? You know, how was that possible if this is even partially true? So, so what happened to me is that uh, I was aware also that people that would come to me and request my services, they would be actually, you know, they would ask me, well, did you read the medical medium? Assuming that if I didn't, if I wasn't familiar with it, maybe they wouldn't work with me. So this is the power of, you know, a good book and good information. But what I also realized is that the same community would now be knocking on the doors to their doctors and requesting testing for EBV. So you have to appreciate that a medical community and medical doctor that absolutely has no, no bearings on EBV, there is an old approach to it uh, that you have to have mono, and that's the initial infection, which is not entirely true. And then once you've had mono, all you have to do is rest, stay in bed, hydrate you know there's nothing else you can do which is also not best uh, advice and then after that their approaches and their their education is that you after that that's over you no longer have any bearings on any any current medical problems mono is over and that's it that's what the medical community's training is it's very very old um and unfortunately 
you know, they come from a position that there's no studies, that it's all in your head. This is, you know, this is this crazy book on the market and you're listening to the wrong people. Stop going online. And I can't. And so the medical community is even refusing sometimes to test those people and test uh, the antibodies to EBV because in their training, uh, everybody has uh, antibodies, 90, 95% of the global population, right? So it's irrelevant. I hear it all the time. The doctor doesn't want to test because everybody has uh, exposure, past exposure. It's irrelevant right now. I'm not going to test you because I can't do anything about it because it's irrelevant. And um, the thing with medical community is, and maybe some people don't appreciate it, that if we ask a doctor to 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 run a lab test for us because we read somewhere we want you know like EBV, um, it's kind of it's kind of hard for a doctor because a doctor is responsible for these labs and they have to do something therapeutically about it. So if they're not comfortable because there's nothing they can do, it's very hard for them to say, "Sure, I'll test it for you." Right. <laughs> so I need people to understand that. From their perspective, it's it can be really uh, frustrating because it leads nowhere and there's nothing to do, and they don't have the mono presentation. So what else is there to do, right? Right. So with that medical medium book, what I notice is that more and more doctors, you know, were being asked for this. Some doctors would refuse. Some people would go from door to door trying to find a doctor that would test the markers. And then another challenge that was happening is that sometimes they did, but sometimes they tested two or three out of four. It's exactly the story that happened to Patty that we're going to discuss the, the testing that was done for her thyroid. This is exactly the same problem with EBV. Either they're missing some uh, markers or they misinterpret what they have. And with EBV, it's like we still don't have information. But the, the point is with that story is it was very important that medical medium open that door but then what do we have we have two polarized communities one extremely left uh, you know following his guides and one extremely right is the whole community medical community when when there's this big gap in between which is an ocean where millions of people fall in the cracks and they're not getting help so when i realized the situation i was just uh embarking on the first functional doctorate program in nutrition and there were just seven of us it was a very small program and so i decided why don't i just focus on this because i was already starting to request that patient test the ebv marker so i was already educating myself on research on actually what do you test what does research say exactly why are we misinterpreting the lab results and so on? So I was already deep into it. I was already seeing patterns in my own clients. I was already getting results. Um, so I decided somebody has to bridge this gap between those two communities because there's a huge need for people that are suffering to actually be able to, to get their lives back. So I started by focusing on literature review. So there were certain concepts in medical medium that were claimed. And I was like, why don't I go into medical literature and just see what I can validate? So for me, it was very important because it gave me direction and gave me fuel and gave me the courage to actually jump in and say, there's something in it because I see it in my clinic. I need to just pursue it. And so that was kind of the beginning of the story. And 
and then, then the rest is history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And a lot of the things he was saying as you were researching are in fact true. Yes. Yes. I was able to validate a lot. We don't have research for, for some, but then the directions, the applications, and you know, the, the more research I did, the more conditions I found. At, at some point, I stopped researching conditions because I needed to finish the book and get it published. <laughs> but even some areas like ulcerative colitis and Crohn's, I didn't even I didn't even research that for the book. And at that very moment, very last moment, it's like, well, wait a second, it's a big autoimmune area. Well, why don't I just why don't I just go to PubMed and just take a look for a few minutes and then. I was finding consistently that about 60% of either condition can be triggered initially by EBV. It's like, what? So genital ulceration and then the, the low platelets and nosebleeds and hypersensitivity to mosquito bites. And, and then, I, you know, the more you work with clients, you see those patterns because you're asking those questions. And then this, the, you start to see how things match. It's it's pretty remarkable how the story goes. So. Mm, it is. It's, it's just amazing how many conditions and how many symptoms are associated with this. And pretty much all of us, as you're saying, have been exposed to this. How can we test for Epstein-Barr, Dr. Kynes? Okay, so so there are four, four um, antibodies. And it was very painful to me to, me to learn... Uh, how the EBV community struggles just getting the right labs. So on our EBV website, we actually have, I actually have two buttons under the lab um, website page. I have two buttons that directs people to, direct people to uh, two examples of labs that are direct to consumers. So you can spend 100 up to $150 out of pocket if you need to, to really validate. And they have, it's just a link I'm not involved. It's just an example to, to, to teach people that you don't have to go from doctor to doctor, plead, ask, request, be humiliated. Uh, just, just get it done on your own. And that website page also has different scenarios for, those, uh, for the results. So people can actually start looking at the results and kind of learn how to interpret them. There is a little graph that is color-coded that is extremely helpful. I mean, that was a game-changer for me to to kind of remember those antibodies, what they do and what to expect. So, And I will post that on my website for everyone to see. Please, please go back again and again. There's different buttons to see different different scenarios. Uh, but basically, you need four antibodies. That's basically the, the standard. So VCA-IgG, VCA-IgM, EBNA-IgG, and EA. Um, either EAIgg or EADIgg, whichever the lab has access to, either one is good. So these are just the four basic ones. Do you want me to walk everybody through the logistics of it, or yes, please? Because I would love to know how people can interpret those results and how they could know if it's something that is past exposure versus something that's acute and current exposure right now. Perfect. As your listeners are listening right now to the recording, I would really urge everyone to, right now, as you're listening to this part, go to EBV Help, so uh, ebvhelp.com, and click on the lab, lab interpretation button. Um, and just look at the color coded graph with little uh, red and green and black lines, because these are the four antibodies I want to be talking about. And it's so much easier when you look visually at. Uh, that you know people get confused otherwise so when people have initial infection 
the what spikes is uh, VCAIgM typically, and so that spikes for just a few weeks and then it goes under current. So if you have the very first mono in your life, and if you actually go to your doctor and get tested during that spike, when you know you feel like truck run you over, that's the scenario, right? You may catch it, and it may you may see that it's elevated, and that might indicate that this is your very first run. So, like majority of cases, I see that's negative, because when you reactivate, if you see the graph, uh, VCA IgM can reactivate a little bit, but there's a little spike. It's very tiny, and I don't see that reactivating enough to show positive in people. So, in chronic conditions related to EBV, that's VCA IgM is typically normal. And that's to be expected. And if you see the graph, you'll see exactly what I mean. So then in chronic conditions, you're saying then the VCA IgG will be elevated, meaning that they've had exposure. IgG stands for past exposure. And IgM, even though it's the current exposure, it's not going to be so, so positive where it can even be picked up. Is that correct? Yes, it may not even be picked up. So it'll be negative and that's fine. So VCA IgG will stay for life. So once you have the first infection, it's going to start raising. It's typically the highest one, sometimes triple digits. And so it will, like the point of getting uh, well and heal is not to bring this VCA IgG to zero because it may never go to zero, but it may keep decreasing as you're doing your work or you're getting better. Uh, it will, if you look at the graph, it will increase a little bit in reactivation. So unless you keep re repeating uh, lab tests and you know your, your graph of this particular uh, antibody, I wouldn't really uh, put my life on hold for this. I, I wouldn't. People get sometimes really depressed because they're feeling so much better. They're living their lives and they look at this antibody and it's still elevated. It's, like, it's okay. It's going to be flagged for life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to be flagged for life, most likely. But there may be a direction in which it's decreasing, and that's what you want to see. Even if it's true, still triple digits. Also, another thing about this particular one and the next one I will say, please, 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 so important. If it's some labs will not give you a number if it's uh, more than 600. So if you see that, <clears throat> let's say, your VCA IgG was more than 600, so you don't know how much. And then half a year later, it's still more than 600, but you're feeling fabulous. And then you're feeling deflated because you feel, I'm feeling better, but it hasn't changed. This is not true because your numbers may have been 5,000 and maybe now it's 603. Great point. So yes, I really wanted to say that because people don't realize, you know, we don't think about these things, but it's probably steadily decreasing to the point where it's much closer to 600 when it was before. So let's talk about the third one, which is also very similar to this one. It's um, EBNA, IgG. That's going to start towards the end of the first infection, and then it's going to be flagged up through mostly the rest of your life as well. Uh, so it can be triple digits as well. The same story exactly like the other one I just mentioned. So just as your trajectory is decreasing a little bit, then you should be happy. Don't expect it to, you know, you're doing everything right, you're doing great, and suddenly it drops from 450 to 15. That's probably unlikely, and it doesn't mean that you're severely sick. It's just that you really need to know, with these two antibodies, it's much more important 
let's say if you have Hashimoto's and let's say you're working with somebody and you know now that that's driven by this infection. And as you're working on things, you're feeling fabulous, you sleep great, you lost some weight, everything seems to be going well. Where do you look for validation? You look at your antibodies to Hashimoto's, to thyroid, and suddenly they're normal. There's your proof that your infection is no longer causing problems for you right now. And those two antibodies that we've been talking about, they may still be triple digits, but maybe they shifted a little lower triple digits. You see where, where I'm going? Mm-hmm. If you have short organs, maybe right now you're making saliva and you're just so thrilled. You can chew, you can eat. You know, that's your kind of, maybe that's where the problem was. You were working on EBV and suddenly your, your saliva is being produced. And a lot of it is those symptoms. Uh, in Patty's case, for example, you know, she was feeling really tired. She had the brain fog and you know, we looked at her thyroid and it really, even though we thought that's what it was, her thyroid was really okay. And so then we found that she had, so her acute markers for EBV were negative. So the IgM was negative. So she didn't have, uh, at least it didn't seem like it was current right now, but as you're explaining so well, that it's possible the reactivation could be there, but just not picked up. But she did have a very, very, very elevated um, IgG. Okay. So, so let's talk about that. Her thyroid was fine her tsh was fine t3 was tested later and t4 right and they were fine did they test the two antibodies yes and they were okay oh they were okay so in her case yes it didn't it didn't go to live in the thyroid that's not where it went exactly but the most important antibody for ebv that we haven't discussed yet and that would be really important in her case exactly is the fourth one that's the stellar one. That's the most important one. That's the one you don't want to miss. And that's the one that sometimes is missed when doctors, uh, you know, pick the antibodies to test. It's called EA, early antigen, IgG. This is the one that will spike when you have activation or reactivation. It's certainly reactivation. So, and again, you can miss it because it will flag for just maybe a few weeks to three weeks. Uh, so when you feel like maybe you've had mono already and so now you have a really like you really feel awful something is going on if you go and test right now while you're feeling this way you may catch early antigen but if you try to get better and then you go to the doctor in a few weeks early antigen you may miss it and it may be normal and of course it will look like there's no relevance so let me tell you a story that will help people understand what I'm saying. Um, one of my students was saying, I have a classic presentation. I know it's EBV. Everything fits. Uh, we did, you know, she did the labs and it looks like a uh, past infection. You know, the early antigen is normal. So I said, well, well, when did she test? January. When did she feel like the truck ran her over? Thanksgiving. Right. It was too late. Yeah. And I think that's what happened with Patty as well, because when we tested her early antigen was negative. It was just a VCA GG that was very, very, very elevated. And she did remember having a cold a few months ago. And, um, you know, and I think what's really important for people to know also is that it's not always mono in the way that you may think where you're completely, you know, in bed and your throat hurts and you can't do anything for a month. It can just be a cold or flu-like symptoms. And how often do we experience those, right? For most of us, once a year, maybe even twice a year, if not more. So that's exactly what happened. Patty, she did have a, you know, a bad cold and she just thought, okay, it was a bad cold months 
um, earlier. So that's why her early antigen was negative, but her um, VCIgG was positive and you know very very elevated. So it did show past infection because she had all of those symptoms. Um, you know, we still went ahead and started to work on it. Yeah. So when she actually did the the, the antibody testing, were you already working with her? Not yet. Okay, so well, I mean, we were we haven't started the EBV protocol. Sorry about that. But she was already changing diet because she was trying to get better. So she Mm -hmm. probably improved her health already to a degree. Now, one point that I want to make also, and that's something that people have to be aware of, if if the antibodies are not flagged, it would be a good idea to go to the doctor. Anybody, any any doctor can do it, and ask to test uh, total immunoglobulins. IgM and IgG, and if you're added, you could also ask for Ig. Uh, let me see, IgG, IgA, IgM, IgA, IgM, IgG, and IgE. Um, granted, you would have to work with a clinician who knows what to do with this, but sometimes people are so compromised in terms of their immune function that they might they may not even produce enough of these anti antibodies. So it may look like false negative just because you don't produce enough. So if there's any question about your immune system, your immune system history, maybe you've been on steroids or whatnot, uh, it would be worth the confirming uh, that you make enough of those immunoglobulins. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. And, and sometimes, you know, sometimes there is a number in antibodies, but it's pretty low. Uh, and we, we have our patients or clients test. What we find is... If their anti-immunoglobulins are low, I, I can jump on a calculator and recalculate what would be the antibody total if I actually recalculate imagining that the person's immunoglobulin would be in mid-range. So I have to recalculate what it would be. And then suddenly numbers are flagging. They're higher and the antibodies are higher. So, I mean, it's it's this is not or this is where you and I could recalculate the no, um, a client would be confused, but I'm just saying that there that may also be a false false negative for people. That's a good point. Oh, Anthony William also mentions that even after you recover from the initial infection, whether it be mono or another type of you know EBV presentation, that the virus is still in your system, and unless you take care of it, it can go deeper and deeper into your tissues and organs. Do you agree with that? I yes, because. Um, And that's, uh, let's say, some people test uh, DNA. There is a PCR, I believe it's called, and I don't recommend it because PCR looks for uh, the DNA of the virus in the bloodstream. But the virus doesn't live in the bloodstream. It only comes into the bloodstream when it activates or reactivates. So let's say you have infected B cells or T cells, mostly B cells, your immune cells, which means that the virus is inside the cell. And when the virus reactivates, we call it lysing, basically at that point, that virus inside your cell goes for your DNA, uses that, creates RNA for itself, duplicates itself, creates a lot of young viruses inside that cell. And when it reactivates, it means that the cell lyses. Um, Basically, it's destroyed by lysing. Um, And all these young viruses spill out. They spill into the bloodstream. This is when people feel like the track ran them over, right? But in a matter of a few weeks, 
the the viruses will travel exactly like you said they will go deeper they will go into thyroid maybe they will go into the liver spleen like a lot of kids with uh with mono uh, they may have enlarged spleen that's their symptom that's where it goes goes into liver you have acute hepatitis uh, and then eventually it might go into your, your joints. It might go into your connective tissue, into your muscle, muscles, into your thyroid, into your brain. Um, EBV can, can cause leakiness in the brain blood barrier. So suddenly that opens. Your other chemicals can start leaking into your brain along with the EBV. And then when it's in the brain, it can cause a lot of damage. Um, to your immune cells in the brain and there's inflammation as a result so people have this brain fog they can't think so it really uh, sometimes it's in your uh, innervation sometimes it's more common than than any other place would be your inner ear like inner ear in um, vestibular nerve so for example for a lot of people the classic symptoms of reactivation might be uh, that their ear is hurting or their ear is buzzing or ringing. Mm. And that's such a common thing that people have and it's really something that there's not much that doctors say about that. So um, that's really good to know that it could be related to EBV. Could be, could be, could be yeah. B12, could be, could be EBV. But- right, it could be a few things but definitely yeah. something to explore. Dr. Kynes, if someone has positive antibodies for EBV, what can they do to start to heal that? Perfect question. Thank you for asking this. First of all, there is a very misguided belief that uh, it's not treatable, it's not reversible. It depends on the story, obviously, and depends on acute or chronic, obviously. But I'm quoting a medical doctor who had a beautiful uh, case uh, case report published Um and I've talked to her many times now, it's reversible, treatable if you work with the right protocols and you do the lifestyle modification, nutritional modification, stress reduction, uh, clean up the diet, clean up environmental toxins. So basically the big, the big deal is some of my clients say, as painful as it was, EBV was the biggest teacher. Um, one of my colleagues said it was the biggest blessing it was the biggest teacher because it alerted her to a chemical formaldehyde in her environment that tipped her over and now as a result she's able to remove it and have a safer environment for her kids and her otherwise she would be getting sicker and not knowing what it was but she knew that environmental toxins can trigger reactivation of Epstein-Barr a lot of overachievers and people with uh, type A personality and um, extremely sensitive individuals, they are, they are perfect breeding ground for reactivations because of how they deal with stress, how they overproduce, overwork, overextend, don't have good boundaries, don't say no. <laughs> and the biggest, biggest culprit of all that I can say like right off, uh, right off the bat is stress. Uh, stress creates chemicals, inflammatory cytokines, feeds into EBV. And, you know, you're thinking about astronauts in space, they reactivate to the point when I talked to a um, NASA researcher once, I was saying, I saw research on it, that they reactivate. They're prime of, of, the, of the game. They're amazing, trained, you know, strong individuals. And he told me, oh, yeah, we know that. You know, they, they get antiviral medication prophylactically. Because the virus really responds to stress hormones. And so whether it's lack of sleep in your case, overwork, having a terrible boss, 
negative environment, uh, living with the wrong person, not being heard, not being honored, uh, being marginalized, being humiliated, whatever that, that, that stress will perpetuate the reactivation. It's huge, huge. And that happens with divorce, you know, moving home, especially when people are undergoing a big transition in life. Even when it's good, like getting married, publishing a book, being on TV, <laughs> it's extremely stressful for physically, emotionally, because it's a change. So even accumulation of changes, that's very stressful. That can trigger reactivation. Uh, also, being aware if you have to be put on steroid medication, you're shutting down the immune function. That's an open invitation. And I often hear people telling me they got severely sick, like the truck ran them over uh, when they were put for some reason um, um, on steroids. Any hormone, hormonal changes, any big changes like getting on hormone replacement therapy, getting hormonal medications, uh, having a baby and having postpartum depression, like that's a huge shift in hormones that can feed uh, into reactivation. And actually some of the postpartum depression and Hashimoto's as a result of that may be driven just by Epstein-Barr and you just have a baby. And I've seen uh, that in so many people. Yes, exactly. There's also cases when uh, women have really severe chronic Epstein-Barr, when even menstrual cycles, there's enough depth of where the virus is, when even those fluctuations, you know, the monthly fluctuations in, in hormones, they will complain that they just, it's like constantly having that cycle of mono or, or flu or just feeling like that track run them over. They feel so much worse during during the changes in the cycles. So, so just being aware of having meticulous diet and hydration and, and there's lots of herbal teas that you can drink in, instead of coffee or, or black tea or, or just water that have antiviral properties. And I have a lot of them listed on my website for EBV and in the book, and you can pick and choose. And now every time you drink something, you're actually working against EBV. Uh, the, the more plants, the better, because antioxidants are, the, the virus creates a lot of oxidation and antioxidants are number one tool we have. So the more, the more fruits, vegetables, and I'm repeating fruits, maybe even more than vegetables because people are afraid of fruits. They think there's something wrong with them. <laughs> we need those fruits, please, ladies. <laughs> Enjoy them without guilt. So not so much meat. Uh, definitely taking a break from eggs because there's there's some research uh, implicating eggs. Um, they will certainly not help. Dairy needs to be removed. That's highly inflammatory. Uh, so we don't need as much meat from, uh, as much protein from dairy meat. Let me see what else. Organics is extremely important. Finding ways to do organics on the budget. For example, there is this new thing I just signed up for called imperfectproduce.com. And you can pick a box for full of organic produce every week for 17 bucks. That's amazing. They just look different. You know, they don't look perfect. They're uh, still so just they as can... nutritious, I'm sure. What about supplements? Do you have any favorite supplements that could be helpful? Yes, 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 yes. The wonderful thing about you and me is that we are nutritionists and we can't use medications. And it's a blessing because with EBV in particular, the biggest heaters for me are not even herbs so much, except there's one or two. But majority of recommendations that I do for the EBV protocols come from nutrients. 
nutrient-based supplements, if you dose them appropriately and everything is listed in the book with all the dosages and counterindications, how, how high you can go, um, it's pretty remarkable what these do. And on top of that, um, many of them perform multiple functions. So in terms of spending, budgeting on supplements and spending your money, you're getting the best investment out of these. So for me, the biggest one is selenium. Even for Hashimoto's, thyroid, detoxification, liver, it, it creates, it helps you build glutathione, and so on, so on. So, and selenium is depleted from the soil. It's like really important to get it at a particularly high dose. What dose would you typically recommend? And this is where it gets really a little bit iffy uh, because you want to make sure you don't overdo it. Selenium may be in different supplements as well. So you want to really look at all your supplements, make sure that you don't do more than 800 micrograms. That's it. Uh, for most people, 800 is perfectly fine. If somebody's petite, small frame and short, maybe 600 underweight. Um, but that's typically, and that you can hone on it and uh, drive that up to 800. And then NAC. Uh, NAC has so many functions as well. It's N-acetylcysteine. Most people tolerate it well. You can go up to even 4,500. Uh, a day, I would start slow and build it up. And um, and then lysine is really huge. Even if you do lysine, you can do one gram three times a day or even like acutely two grams three times a day, but not if you have very high cholesterol, if you have gallbladder issues or kidney issues. There, there were some studies, but it's not that conclusive, but you want to just keep in, in mind that you're not going to do that forever at, at high potencies but even if you start with those three and just watch what happens uh you may start seeing within short weeks that there's something different that you feel better and and it's pretty predictable and and i just started with a new client who said you know i got your book i started on the protocol and boy i ran out of things for a few days and i started to slip back into my symptoms it's so predictable it's like it's working it's keeping me well and now she has enough energy, enough, you know, enough zest, enough focus within her brain that she is able to do the necessary changes with the lifestyle, toxicity, you know, sleep and diet, improve, improving all that. So sometimes I start with those big hitters because I just need people to feel a little bit better physically so they can they can start working on other things that needs to be in place. Yeah. And what's so nice about those is that while they have antiviral properties, they also, as you mentioned, are antioxidants and they help oh. with detoxification, you know, so they really work on so many different areas oh, and it's just a yeah. nice bang for your buck. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> but you make a good point. You make a good point that it is very individual. Um, and I always say on my shows that every case is going to be unique and different. So it is important to work with someone so that you can really get to the bottom of it. But it is really good to explore the EBV connection if you have some of those symptoms. And if I understand you correctly, what you're saying is that typically within a couple of weeks of doing your protocol, if it is EBV, people should start to notice some kind of a difference, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. And if they don't, then it could be some other things that are affecting it like heavy metals or mold or uh, electromagnetic um, frequencies or 
Possibly, maybe it is not EBV, but certainly the protocol is worth trying for a couple of weeks. And most people, if that's their issue, are going to notice a difference there. And we're actually going to have an episode um, airing in a couple of weeks with Evan Brand talking about mold. So for everyone listening, there's much more information coming on that. Uh, One of the things that Patty noticed in addition to her fatigue was exercise intolerance. Exercise actually made her feel worse and not better. She thought it was her thyroid, but obviously that wasn't the case for her. And for her, it really was um, the EBV. And I know that you talk about this as a sign of EBV too. Why is that? I actually wrote an article, a little bit about that, a blog on the EBV website as well. It's under, uh, is EBV treatable and reversible? That's the one that you want to read uh, the, if, if you want to know more specifically. There are free radicals that are created when you exercise. Uh, one of the reasons why marathon running can be dangerous, people die of heart failure, heart attacks, literally, because the oxidative stress from marathon running exceeds the body's capacity to create antioxidant uh, support and to actually buffer it and create, like, you know, um, bring the balance to zero. Um, so if somebody runs a lot, they need to really replete antioxidants to curb that oxidative stress. It's just oxidative stress is a fact of life. That's why we need antioxidants even when we're uh, healthy. And antioxidants are what? Fruits, vegetables, plants. So when you have EBV, you have particular um, oxidative stresses. Uh, you have xanthine oxide. You have endothelial nitric oxide. You had this inflammatory domino. Um so you have avalanche of oxidation already created past the body's ability to deal with it. That's why people feel so awful. So that's why I love, you know, medical mediums uh, response to diet. You need those plants. You need antioxidants. You need your smoothies. You need your berries, you know, you <laughs> greens, you blend it, drink it, um, because that will actually target that oxidative stress and curb it. But if you don't have that base, if you don't have that support, I mean, we're using vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin uh, vitamin D, vitamin uh, uh, A, E, C, D. I mean, we're using vitamins as well, antioxidants in uh, in the protocol. There's a, you know the, the more a large enlarged protocol, more extensive protocol for that because that really moves the needle. So when people when people exercise, they don't have the recovery. They have so much extra oxidation they're causing from exercise, which normally would be fine. So you have this double whammy. Um, it takes them sometimes a couple of days to recover. It's not worse. This is not the time to exercise. This is a time to provide the buffer from foods, from antioxidants, and actually rest. But then on that journey, when people start saying, you know, I went for a walk and I wasn't exhausted. I went surfing. Oh my gosh. I came back home. I was still fine. Or suddenly they go, you know, I went running a little bit first time. I came back home. I was sore. I was tired, but I was normal tired. I was happy tired. It wasn't the EBV tired. When when they start moving a little bit and they have that recovery, there is a different tiredness. This is when we, people get really excited. This is when we know, yes, you can handle it. You should move <laughs> a little bit. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So in the beginning, when you're dealing with this, I know it's a weird thing to recommend. uh, But for everyone listening, if you're dealing with EBV and exercise makes you more tired, actually 
stop. Don't exercise for a little bit. Do the protocol, start to feel better, and then add it in slowly. Um, it's not about overdoing it. Dr. Kynes, thank you so much for being here and giving us all this great insight. Uh, for everyone listening, please, please check out Dr. Kynes' book, The Epstein-Barr Virus Solution, and I'll post all her information in the show notes below. Dr. Kynes, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Annette, for having me here. I'm so excited. You're going to spread the word. Epstein-Barr virus was responsible for Patty's issues, and with proper testing, we were able to identify it. I will tell you more about what we did for Patty in just a second, but first, if you want to contact or find out more about my guest, Dr. Kasha Kynes, please visit healthmysterysolve.com, and in this episode's show notes, you'll also find links to all the other resources we discussed. Now, when I tested Patty for Epstein-Barr, she did not have a major elevation in the VCA-IgM which is a marker for current infection, but she had extremely high levels of VCA-IgG, which is a marker for past infection. As Dr. Kynes was explaining, the active infection does not last very long, and unless you test right when you're infected, it will not appear positive. However, an elevated marker for past infection does imply something is going on. So I encouraged Patty to get as much rest as possible and told her to actually stop exercising for the next three to four weeks. I know this may seem like a strange suggestion, but because exercise was making her feel worse, we knew it was creating free radicals and putting even more strain on her adrenal glands. Those are the glands that deal with stress. There is an inverse relationship with stress and the immune system, and I needed her immune system to be in tip-top shape. We worked on her diet to cut out very processed foods and focused on a plan rich in whole foods and lots of vegetables and low-sugar fruit. We also use several supplements, not only to help eradicate the virus, but also to help balance the body and fight free radicals. We started with 800 micrograms of selenium, 30 milligrams of zinc, and 1500 milligrams of N-acetylcysteine. Then we added in 1800 milligrams of lysine and 50 drops of lomatium, a really great antiviral antimicrobial herb. Within two weeks, she started to notice the brain fog lifted. And two weeks after that, her energy improved drastically. At this point, we put in some very light exercise, just some walking, a little bit of yoga, and she was able to tolerate it just fine. We slowly started to increase that, and after three months, she was able to get back to her favorite soul cycle class without experiencing any fatigue afterwards. Needless to say, she was super thrilled. If Patty sounds like someone you know, please share this with them. And make sure you subscribe to this podcast because the next mystery I uncover could be one you or someone you love is dealing with right now. When it comes to solving your health issues, don't give up. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.